Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host, and I am delighted to be back with you again this week. It is, it's, it's, uh, I almost said March, it's May 31st of 2023. We are on the cusp of going into June and you know, no matter what we do, time marches on. I'm here uh, in the U.S. I'm on the uh, Oregon coast, um, one of the two places that I mainly uh, stay right now. And it's beautiful and people are starting to, you know, come to the beach like they do during the during the tourist season. So both places that I live, Malta and uh, Lincoln City, Oregon, have uh, tourist seasons that kind of change the behavior of the locals and change the energy, certainly, um, of the towns that they're visiting and stuff. So um, that's interesting to me. And um, and it also is just a really beautiful place to be. Um, so today, I'm going to talk about narratives and how to change your narrative in order to change your life. Um, I do talk on the show quite a bit about, about narratives and about how to identify uh, particularly one that is happening right in the moment um, that's not helping you and how to disrupt it um, and and potentially to change it by telling yourself the compassionate truth and kind of shining a light on on the story that you're telling and asking yourself, well, why am I telling this story and where does it come from? And is it really true? And beyond is it true, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it supportive? Because if it's not, it might not actually be, I mean, it is your narrative because you're telling it, but it's probably not the narrative that you need. And because it is yours, it is yours. It belongs to you. It's it's your story. Uh, You get to decide. You get to decide how you tell it, um, when you tell it, how you tell it, whether you tell it. So I was um, meeting with an old friend. I've been reaching out to to people to talk about the Freedom Series, this um, program that I'm offering that helps people to silence their inner critic and accept themselves unconditionally. I um, mean, get you know, just catching up with them and telling them about the program and getting feedback about it. Um, and I was talking to an old friend, and you know, I just asked her. She has a child that's in uh, middle school. I think he's you know just just. Um, now has entered middle school um, this last year. And um, she was talking about, you know, some of the experiences that he has been having, um, one of which is a, a bit of bullying. And, you know, of course I said, oh, what's what's going on? And she talked about how some kids had just changed his name. Um, basically he, changing it in a, in a way that could be, con- you know, was definitely seemed to be, um, I don't know how to say this without sort of putting agendas um, on people, but it did seem to be an attempt at ridicule and potentially uh, the use of homophobia um, to create that ridicule. So, oh, when she told me, I kind of just, oh, I flinched. And then we both, you know, I said, oh, well, you know, my name was 
um, was also changed to this. And similarly, um, so instead of Kirsten, I was called Queerston. And this was mainly in the 70s um, when that was going on, you know, just kind of in the neighborhood um, amongst the neighborhood kids. And I don't even know. I didn't know then and I don't know now whether there was um, sort of a homophobic piece to that or whether queer was being used to mean strange or whether it just was a way to change my name um, in order to make fun of me. And, you know, her response was, oh, well, my name was also changed. And so hers was named, hers was changed and, you know, uh, changed into a body part, which was, again, um, done in an attempt to, I guess, ridicule or make fun of her. And so uh, it just made me think of what we go through um, throughout our lives, but most particularly in middle school um, and into high school and how that can shape our narrative, the story that we tell about ourselves. Um, And then I thought about how our narrative shapes what we believe and how what we believe drives the way we speak to ourselves and manage our emotions and choose our actions or react in a way that doesn't even feel like choice. And so, you know, my experiences in middle school and high school absolutely contributed to the narrative that I was not acceptable, that I was not good enough, that I was not acceptable, and that I needed to perform better or be better or be different in order to belong or to be accepted. And I certainly don't think that I am the exception there. Um, I'm guessing that most of us um, have a difficult time um, now and then throughout, uh, you know, grade school, middle school, high school. But experiences without narrative are just experiences, right? So we can, in a way, I mean, you know, you might have heard the expression, you can't rewrite history. In a way, though, when it's your story and you are the narrator and it's your history, you can in a way, rewrite it. It doesn't change the experience, but it can change the meaning of the experience and the way in which it does or doesn't stick to you in an unhelpful way. So as I was pondering that, I was thinking about back about some of my own experiences and I chose to write a story about it that I'm going to share with you. Um, over the course of um, the remainder of this um, segment and then the second segment. And then in the last one, I'll make some suggestions about how to actually catch these particularly old narratives that might really be stuck in there and impacting us in ways that that we don't even necessarily know. And then how to, um, you know, expose them and start to rewrite them. Because again, Um, It's your story and it belongs to you. And you might find when you shine a light on the story itself that we've, we may have just filled in all sorts of things that in reality, we don't know that are causing us um, to suffer even in the present day. So I'm just going to take a sip of water and then I will start the story. All right, here we go. You don't care about the election. It is merely a strategy to increase your GPA so that you can get into a, quote, good university. It is suggested to you by your dad. 
He teaches English and coaches football at your high school. And during this particular period, is also assigned the role of activities director, which includes oversight of the student council. You've already burned your student council elective, adding an A to the all important equation of grades. To qualify again for this easy A, he tells you that you will need to run for office, something painless like secretary or treasurer. You float through the various tasks of registering your name, making a poster or two, and writing a limp, lifeless speech that reflects your complete lack of real interest in this endeavor. You are, in fact, not interested in school. You're interested in friends and hanging out and alcohol and drugs and boys and sex and rock and roll. But you dutifully attend class, smoking weed throughout the day to make it tolerable, State-dependent learning allows you to do well so long as you learn and test in the same state, stoned. When you find one morning that you've arrived at school without your weed supply, you create a story for your first period teacher that is compelling enough for him to let you dash home. You cannot fathom facing an entire school day without being high. Unthinkable. The assemblies are mandatory. Each class will gather to hear the speeches of those of you that aim to represent your class in its modest government. At more than 600, your class is the largest to date in the school's history. To that end, you and your compatriots will convene in the behemoth basketball gym with its shiny wooden floor and bleachers climbing up high, nearly to the ceiling, a huge and daunting venue. The potential electees, numbering eight or ten, are seated in chairs in the center of the basketball court, a lone microphone positioned in front of a wall of humanity. You have one opponent. You are aware of but do not know each other. Your peers are settled, and then each candidate's name is called. Your opponent goes ahead of you, and you notice that her speech reflects actual effort and interest in the role. You are fraudulent in your intentions. You don't want to be class treasurer. You simply want an easy A to check the box. Or do you? Your name is called and you walk to the solitary microphone stand. No podium to protect your vulnerable humanity. You are scared. You are shaking. You are self-conscious. You do not relish being the center of attention, and it doesn't get more center than this. You begin to speak, and then it rings out like a shot. The voice is deep and thunderous as it ricochets off the cacophonous, acoustical wooden surfaces. Pussy eater. After this verbal bullet is fired, you can hear a pin drop. That is, if you can hear anything over your own heartbeat and the blood rushing in your ears. It is as if everyone is in suspended animation, wondering what will happen next, waiting to exhale. You, pro- you process this verbal assault as quickly as it occurs. You know the voice, the voice of someone who you have observed to be a bully. 
you take a breath and do what comes naturally to you. You Riley quip. So anyway, and the gym explodes with laughter. This explosion of glee and relief is yours to keep. You got the laugh, not him. You finish your flaccid address and retake your seat. The administrator assigned to your class assembly is mercifully not your dad. However, the story is conveyed to him such that he stops you in the hall and tells you he heard what happened and that you handled it like a champ. Great. Awesome. Cool. Fuck. You are aware of a narrative fabricated about you that you are bisexual. You deduce this comes from your relationship with your best friend. The two of you could hardly be more different, love each other completely, and enjoy nothing more than being in each other's presence. Or perhaps it is related to the snow day. Ah, the delight of an unscheduled day off. You are gathered at a friend's house and you start early. By midday, you are drunk and high and not fully in your mind, which is just how you like it. Your mind has always been formidable, and being out of it is a nice break. You end up in the shower with three other girls, having gotten cold out in the snow, and a hot shower sounds glorious. You are laughing and slipping around. The girl at the head of this chorus line of naked teenagers slips grabs the shower curtain and rips it from its rings to reveal several boys standing in the bathroom, perhaps hoping for a peek and instead getting a full reveal. Everyone laughs and squeals and reaches for something to cover up with and yells the boys out of the bathroom. Was it that? Hmm. You don't know, won't know, and don't care. You do not find this rumor to be insulting in any way. So you shrug it off. Even your, your boyfriend, an older boy whom you begin seeing when you're 15, who no longer attends school due to some nefarious behavior, believes it. One day in a serious tone, you face him and joke, well, you know, I am bisexual. To which he responds excitedly, quote, I knew it. I knew it. Gossip seems fun for everyone who is not the object of it. Rumors are easy to start and spread. They quench a certain salacious thirst, so they stick. You are informed by your dad a few days after the speeches that you will not be the next treasurer for your class. It will be your opponent. He attempts to soften the blow by telling you it was very close. Great. Awesome. Cool. You are relieved and know that this symmetry is unerring, even in these early days when you lie every day to protect your double life and keep the peace at home. You are aware of the painful exhaustion of duplicity. It will be this painful exhaustion that precedes your exposure and entry into rehab. That is a story for another day. This is not your first brush with a bully. 
and it won't be your last. You suspect it is the same human who spits on you while you sit in the same bleachers where your compatriots witness a homophobic slur hurled at you with the intent to harm you, to take you down a few pegs, although you do not feel like there are many pegs to descend in this painful teenage existence. To characterize it as spit is to fail to capture the epic proportions of this giant, slimy, green loogie. As you file out of the assembly where this further indignity occurs, someone alerts you to it. You step into the restroom and take off the Hunter Green Ralph Lauren jacket you are wearing and rinse the insult, the hate, down the drain. As with most childhood bullying, you've done nothing to draw these barbarous insults other than exist, as far as you know. It is not lost on you that in order to spit on someone, they must be perceived as mm, less than valuable, perhaps without any value at all. This is the narrative. It has no basis in truth. It is a story created to fill a vacuum, a vacuum that's eligible to be left empty, that is a candidate for the simple truth of not knowing. A couple of years earlier, in junior high, you are named, quote, egghead by a small group of girls. Mean girls are how they would be characterized now. You are tall. Your neck is long and thin. You wear your hair short at the time and wonder if perhaps your head looks like an egg. You doubt very much it is a backhanded compliment waged at your intelligence. You do not um, remember the names of any of these girls and vaguely remember the physical presence of one of them. She is short, but most girls seem short to you, so that does not readily distinguish her from anyone else. That's about it. You do remember having this intended insult lobbed at your back as you were walking down the hall. You are wearing some version of your chosen uniform that is rife with the desired brands of the time. You've donned a pair of guest jeans from your rotation of different colors, lengths, materials, and cuts, a pink wool Ralph Lauren sweater over a coordinated polo of the same brand, along with some dusty pink L.J. Simone loafers. You recall wondering what one has to do to be accepted in this life, to not be ridiculed, and there is something about it coming behind you that makes it especially demeaning, as if you are not worthy of being told to your face. And we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866 472 5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're talking about changing your narrative to change your life. And before the break, uh, we left the story with the egghead, (laughs) with being um, named egghead and and having that, um, being called that not to my face, but to my back. So we are um, at this point in the story, um, in middle school. Additionally, you arrive at your locker one day and find the label, quote, bitch, scrawled across outside in pink lipstick. You get some paper towels from the restroom and mostly smear the lipstick around whilst trying to remove the humiliating evidence of your expulsion from the acceptable people, the people who aren't called bitch and egghead and later spat upon and dehumanized in front of 600 of their peers. And you again wonder what you have done. There is also the robbery. To say that middle school was a rough ride is, well, true. You arrive home from school and find your dad to be home. This is unusual. When you enter, he asks you if you know what happened to the back door. The back door is a hollow wooden door that leads out into the backyard from the family room, and there is a hole clear through it. Someone has taken a brick found outside and smashed through it. After an examination of the house and its contents, it is only your things that have been taken. Most particularly, your clothes have been taken. They include a blue and green striped Ralph Lauren polo purchased new at the beginning of the school year. You have a beautiful wardrobe even at this young age. You work and save to buy it. You're helped by your parents who foot 50% of the bill for these beautiful things. As the police gather information about the robbery, the neighbors report seeing a teenage girl on the steep roof and they assumed it was you. It, of course, was not. So it is deduced 
that one of your peers has targeted you and gone as far as to climb onto the roof to find a way into your home. Not finding an accessible open window, she smashes the door with a brick instead. Eventually, she wears one of your shirts. You see her in it. She sees you see her. You report it. She denies it. There is not much to be done. You've gone to school with her since grade school and pass her house often, a house that you've also visited. While she is questioned, there is no proof, so she's allowed to carry on as before, except now she is wearing clothes that once hung in your closet. You wonder what you have done to draw an ire so strong that the risk of breaking and entering and burglary seem like the right choice. Accepting the neighborhood kids referring to you as, quote, four eyes and, quote, queerston, you navigated grade school mostly unscathed. Yes, you were tall, the tallest girl, and you wore glasses. Part of this time, you wore the dreaded patch to strengthen your weaker eye. This eventually morphed into clear nail polish blurred with a finger while it was still wet. A practice developed to lessen the onslaught of insults levied at a kid wearing glasses and a patch. It's possible you were made fun of, but not to your face and not to your back such that you could hear it. You were a good student with a few close friends. You had fun at recess. You had people to eat lunch with. You had people to walk home with. The hellscape of junior high grades seven through nine, will set you on a different path. The friends you've grown up with are no longer interested in you. This is conveyed with silence, apathy, and exclusion. They don't seem to like you anymore. You are alone now, really alone, on the precipice of eighth grade, and you wonder what you have done to cause this expulsion. This aloneness is initially medicated by Prince. Specifically, Dirty Minds, Controversy, and 1999. You know every word, note, breath, riff, and transition. You, your Walkman, and Prince Rogers Nelson spend the better part of a lonely summer together. And then you decide to do something different, to push against the tide of your introversion and the fear that you have been discarded due to some character defect or shortcoming and are not worthy of love and friendship, much less company. You look for her in the phone book. You reach her grandparents because they share her last name, but her mom does not. They give you her phone number. You call her and leave a message on a machine. You tell yourself that she is busy and has lots of other things to do with many other friends, and that she is probably not interested. And then she calls you back. You ask if she wants to hang out. You were, and still are, a prize-winning hanger-outer. She does, and offers to take a bus to meet you. A city bus. You have never taken a city bus, and find this rather exotic. So you meet and are invited back to her house to watch the Rolling Stones concert documentary, Let's Spend the Night Together. It is time limited because of the homecoming of her stepfather. You understand why the fun is over when he enters. 
The air changes, joy recedes and is replaced by a tenuous anger on the verge of exploding, eggshells always underfoot. You met at the end of the last school year. She is sitting several rows away from you and is not a fan of the stern and dour social studies teacher. She disagrees with the instructor and asks pointed questions. And when there are attempts to silence her for being inconvenient, she hits back. You are mesmerized and wonder, who is this creature and from where did she materialize? On an end-of-school class trip to Sylvie Island, she wades out into the water in her clothes. Again, you note that she does not seem to give even one crap what anyone thinks. You are a quite worried and concerned person with raging perfectionism, so this way of being is like a beacon of light showing you a path to a different life. Your response to this beacon is to throw sand at her, like a boy with a crush who punches a girl because he's just not sure what else to do. You throw sand. She laughs wildly and calls you names, good-naturedly taking it all in stride. It is this visceral memory that guides your intuition to the phone book, her answering machine, the rolling stones, and ultimately, unshakable friendship. She provides a mirror unlike any other in which you have beheld yourself. In this mirror, there is nothing wrong with you. In fact, you are loved and accepted exactly as you are. There is no desire pressure or suggestion that you should be different, act different, or look different. You are allowed to be exactly who you are and are loved. Once in her presence, you breathe a sigh of relief and slide into the comfort of unconditional acceptance. It is your first brush with this since you became aware that there was something wrong with you. It is her that you call in the summer of 2021, when it all seems to be gone. Your partnership, your job, your connection to your 12-step fellowship, your mistaken belief that your future can be planned with any certainty. You are invited and welcome to the farm she shares with her then-partner, now-husband, and are supported, loved, accepted, and fed. This vulnerability and the asking for help with nothing much to offer the, transac the transaction is a facet of your new life. Your acceptance of yourself and your intrinsic worthiness. You sit on the edge of the bed in the comfortable guest room where you had a good sleep. She gives you a framed quote by Dr. Seuss. She tells you that she has been reading it to herself each day for a long time and feels like she can let it go, and that perhaps it will help you too. It reads, quote, Today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. You well up with tears and tell her that being there with her makes you feel like everything is going to be okay. At home, you put Dr. Seuss in a prominent place and repeat it to yourself as you build your new life. That it comes from his book, Happy Birthday to You, is apropos of this painful, 
jarring, and epiphanous rebirth you are experiencing and for which you longed when you dug deep into your soul in the spring of 2020 and found self-hate there and went about exposing it and exiting it from your life. You've experienced many things in this life, injurious things, magnificent things, human things. Your story belongs to you. You are the narrator. You set the tone. Tell the story. Omit and include what seems fit in either case. You are in charge of the first draft, the rewrite, and whether you choose to tell the story at all. It is your choice to embellish, awfulize, resent, minimize, hyperbolize, or forget. You are in charge. This a gift of total freedom to narrate the story of you in a way that is loving, accepting, compassionate, and purposeful. As you tell these stories that once carried pain, trauma, and embarrassment, you feel none of these emotions. You see them for what they are. Symptoms of self-hate visited upon all of us. Sure, self-hate was a fixture in your life, but these experiences point to it being a fixture everywhere, in every life. Harming another with words and actions does not come from a love of self. It comes from self-hate and that hate splashing out onto others when it can no longer be contained. The shift to unconditional self-acceptance and eschewing people, places, and things that don't support this simple but not easy practice is a path not just to the unconditional love of self, but of compassion and love for others. Bullying is not born of love. It is born of suffering, of self-hate. Self-hate is conditioned. And it can be vanquished, making a sea change of love possible, one loving, self-accepting human being at a time. You are in charge of your narrative. You own it. You write it and rewrite it and remember it and misremember it. It is yours and yours alone. This is incredibly liberating. Your narrative is a powerful tool. It can prepare you for your next challenge, risk, or adventure by providing a story of confidence, capability, and trust in yourself. It can also tell a story that keeps you from embracing a challenge as an opportunity. It can tell a story that turns you away from the risk of doing something new and back toward the comfort doing something old. It can tell you that you can't afford to book that adventure, even though the truth is you cannot afford not to. You are the recipient of curated narratives each and every day. News and social media are the obvious places. But what about the narrative that you curate for yourself? Curation is to select, organize, and present. Select, organize, present. 
each step within your purview. Change your narrative, change your story, change your perspective, change your life. So that is the end of um, of the story that I wrote. And as I wrote it, you know, I wrote it from a different perspective, truly, um, because of the work that I've done over the last several years. So, you know, I've been telling that story, particularly the story about the election speeches off and on for many years. And, you know, sometimes it would pop up in the you know, what's your most embarrassing moment kind of um, discussions that you might have with people where people are sort of sharing the, the, oh my God, like this thing just, uh, you know, really left a mark on me. And so sometimes I would share it in that regard. And it does beg the question, what, you know, yes, okay. It, yes, it, it, it certainly uh, could be embarrassing and you could drop it right in the middle of a John Hughes movie. Honestly, it sounds so ludicrous um, and absurd, but it, it did actually happen. But what do I have to be embarrassed about? I mean, this idea that someone, you know, treats us a certain way. And in most of these stories that I've woven together that, that did occur in my life, they happened in a public way. And so I was, you know, ridiculed or uh, there was something done to um, what felt like humiliate me or take me down or harm me in some way. And, um, you know, why is it that we, why is it though that we carry that? We didn't really, we didn't really do anything. Like we were kind of going about our business and then someone else makes a choice um, to do something harmful. And so you might have heard the thread in there, which as I was writing it, this is what emerged. What what did I do? What did I do to bring that on? This idea that perhaps we're to blame and that there is something wrong with us, that that absolutely comes from the inner critic. Um, and it it absolutely lacks compassion for us, for what we might need, um, not only in those moments, but in order to heal in a way that these kinds of experiences aren't carried along with us um, in a way that's not helpful. So we're going to take another break. And when we come back, um, I just want to share with you some tips and practices for changing your narrative, particularly um, when it's something rooted in uh, your history, something that happened in your life that um, has fueled a story that you've been telling yourself that might not be um, in your best interest, might not be helpful or supportive to you. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. 
Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're talking about changing your narrative to change your life and most particularly the narratives that are formed from um, painful experiences that we have earlier in life is is sort of the theme of the show. Um, and so as I was saying before the, the break, as I um, wrote that story and told it to you today, the fact that I can, you know, pretty much constantly was asking myself, I wonder what I did. You know, I wonder what I did to draw uh, that kind of treatment. What did I do? Um, or what is it about me that would make some someone yell pussy eater at me um, during uh, an election speech? What what did I do or what what is it about me that would uh, cause somebody to want to spit on me? W- what did I do or was it, what is it about me that would cause somebody to want to write bitch on my locker in lipstick and to break into my house and uh, go through my things and my closet and steal my clothes and wear them to school. Those are, that's the narrative, right? The narrative is, well, there must be something wrong with me, or I must have done something, or I must be perceived in some way. And why am I perceived? You know, those, <laughs> that is totally normal. And that is ultimately what I carried um, for many years. And it simply added to the feeling Um, that I'm always sort of standing in the cafeteria with my lunch tray, looking around, hoping uh, that there's somebody to sit with and hoping that somebody will just wave at me and say, hey, come over here. Because ultimately, right, I'm just searching for a sense of acceptance and belonging. And so when that is already what is going on for you, which is, is, I think, so much of what goes on for all of us, not just at that point in our life, but later on as well. And then you have these kinds of experiences 
and you ask what is wrong with you in response to those experiences, it just deepens um, a sense of alienation and a sense of not being good enough and not being acceptable and not having a sense of belonging. Um, you know, a more compassionate approach would be to say, oh, ouch, what do you need? What do you need to heal and move on from that? And and let's let's apply some compassionate truth to it and see if that might be helpful. And so um, here's something that you can do if you have a narrative going on. And this can be from, you know, earlier in your life, kind of this um, this this era that we all go through. They're very formative, also can be quite painful, um, or it could be happening uh, more currently. So first, ask yourself, is there a narrative, a story about you? And remember, this is the story that you're telling. Um, sure, it could be something that you've heard other people say about you, but but that happens outside of you. So we're we're interested in the narrative. You are the narrator of your own story. And so we're interested in the story that you're telling about yourself. Is there a narrative that makes you cringe with pain or embarrassment or regret? Those are the ones we want to go after because having pain or embarrassment or regret about an experience and carrying that along with you it's 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 a symptom it's a sign that something needs some investigation but but that's really all it is it's not helpful right because it it's causing you to have those types of feelings and it's making you cringe and it's it's your story so let's take a look at it one of the ways to do that is to write the narrative as it plays out in your head. So in doing that, um, <laughs> here's here's the key to that. So let's say you have a narrative and we, we can just take the, um, uh, why don't we take, I'm trying to think of the one, the easiest one to take from the ones that I, that I shared with you. Um, maybe the one about um, maybe the one about the election, just because I was always kind of tr- thinking, well, hmm, where did that whole uh, bisexual rumor get started? And I was trying to figure out, well, why did that get started? And is that what led to that? Um, so you would write that narrative out in the way that it plays out in your head. And in doing that, you might you might immediately become aware that it's um, it's made up, it's fabricated, that there are things about it that are not based in logic, that are not really based in truth. Once you begin to write it and you take it out of your brain, out of your body, and you put it somewhere concrete where you can shine a light on it and look at it, it may quickly seem uh, absurd to you and not true. And that might make you want to edit it and change it, but don't do that. Because what we're trying to capture is the story you're telling. And we want to capture it as as much uh, verbatim as we can in terms of the voice in your head. Um, And then once you've written it, voice record it. So you can go directly to voice recording. If writing is not your jam, if, if, 
you know, when asked to write something, you kind of glaze over and you think, Ugh, no, I don't want to do this. Then try voice recording. Most everybody has a voice recorder on their smartphone that's that's easily accessible. So um, so an alternative to writing is you're you find yourself, you know, with this narrative and you're feeling some form of discomfort around it, pain, embarrassment, regret, whatever else. Uh, go ahead and voice record it. In either case, whether you write the narrative and then record it, or whether you go directly to voice recording, the next step is to listen to the narrative in your own voice. It's incredibly powerful because it it gives you a clear representation of the way you're being spoken to um, by your own inner narrator. We all have an inner narrator of some type, and it talks to us in different ways. I mean, some people are, you know, mostly word people. Some people are picture people. Um, that's why writing or voice recording, just try to capture, uh, capture the story. So listen to it in your own voice, and that will allow you to just sort of shine a light on it and to start to kind of, in a way, do an investigation that pokes holes in things. And where you can poke holes is in anything that's really unknown. Like there's so much about what those experiences that I shared that I, I don't know anything about. I know what I experienced and I know what I felt and I know kind of what I said to myself, but in terms of the whys and the, what led to it and the, you know, what was, what was really going on? Or, I mean, like, I really don't know anything. And so in trying to fill that vacuum, it's, it's not particularly helpful. Right. Um, so rewrite rewrite your story with compassionate honesty and allow the unknown to just recede into its rightful place, which is a massive sort of bottomless junk drawer. If you're somebody that has like a junk drawer or a junk room, um, you know, we can just throw all the, I don't knows in the bottomless junk drawer and we don't ever really need to clean it out because the unknowns can stay in the unknown. Once in a while, we we figure something out, you know, or we come upon some new information and maybe we pluck something useful out of the drawer. But generally speaking, if you don't know, it's okay not to know. Um, you don't need to fill that vacuum. And in fact, filling the vacuum um, can contribute to the narrative in a way that's not, not helpful or um, supportive to you. Um, so um, then listen to your rewrite. So you're going to do your rewrite, whether that could be in writing or you could go directly to voice recording it. Um, so write it, voice record it, and then listen to your rewrite in your own voice. Um, it's it's possible that it's going to be much shorter. Um, it's possible that there will be much less detail um, involved because when you remove the things that are fabricated, um, the, the narrative or the story that you've created to fill the vacuum, it, it, it takes away often the way that it's charged, um, and the, the pieces of it that keep it really stuck to you. Um, and so, 
once you've done that, when the narrative pops up and you begin to tell this story in your own head, in the old way, or you find yourself telling the story to someone else, pause and pivot to the new story because you're allowed to narrate your story in a way that is compassionate and accepting of yourself and to detach from any of the things that have been unhelpful um, or unsupportive of you or that are self-critical or that are fueled by self-doubt or self-hate. Um, we can let go. We can let go of all those things. Um, and so, you know, as I wrote those stories, of course, I revisited what it was like to experience them, but I didn't feel many of the feelings that I have carried over the years uh, about them. I actually just felt compassion. I felt compassion for myself. I felt detached in a way from them. And I also, I did feel some, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a human being over here. Uh, so I did feel some compassion for the people who did those things uh, and behaved in those ways, because I know that it doesn't come from, you know, when somebody does something that, that is to ridicule someone else or to cause them embarrassment or something like that it can look as if the person feels pretty great about themselves. Like they're like, I'm on top of the world and I'm going to just kind of take pot shots at you because I can. Chances are they are not on top of the world. I don't know their story. So that's one of the, I don't knows. I don't know their story, um, nor will I ever. I only know mine. And I know that if I am loving and compassionate to myself and that I let go and let go of things that aren't serving me and aren't helpful to me, um, it does allow me to just accept what happened and also to view others um, with compassion and acceptance. Um, so that is my uh, that's my suggestion for the week is is listen for your narratives. List, you know, think about how you, how do you feel um, when you experience those. Um, jot them down, voice record them, listen to them, and then rewrite them and and drop everything that you don't know. Um, so let's do a little housekeeping. Uh, you can uh, find me at giraffetangooctopus.com. You can find me across social media at GTO Coaching. And you can drop me an email at coachkj at giraffetangooctopus.com. I'm currently offering the Freedom Series um, where we set a foundation where you claim your project and identify your guiding principle and parse out your image from your true self um, and address your relationship with your body and your food. And then we conduct an investigation into your source of suffering and your anesthesia behaviors and your resentments so that those can be cleared and let go. And then we apply and practice everything that we have built and learned to your relationships um, with other people, your relationship with your work, um, and then your daily practices so that we can keep self-acceptance at the center of everything we do, because that will allow you to make decisions for yourself from a place of love and self-respect. So 
Um, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have heard something helpful. We make this show for you. Have a great week. Love yourself for yourself, be yourself and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.